Shirt falling for it. James can only fist it. It comes for Cantona! I don't believe it! Well left by York, fed by Cole. Back to Andy Cole from Dwight York. Fantastic goal for Manchester United. Can Manchester United score? They always score. Gets with a shot, Sheringham! Welcome to episode 35 of the Red Devil Talk podcast, the first podcast of 2021. I'm delighted to be joined today by my friend Serene McLeod, who works with Sports Psychology Consultancy in London, Optimize Potential. Serena, thanks for taking the time. Jimmy, thanks so much for having me today. I'm really looking forward to, to speaking to you. I want to start by chatting about Optimize Potential, if that's okay, your journey up to now, up to this point. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, of course. Um, you know, so my journey started off six years ago. I actually moved to the UK from Canada um, and decided to study here um, to pursue my dream as a sports psychologist. Um, and to be honest, most of it was due to my football career. I had um, a devastating injury that kind of took me out um, at age of 17. Um, and I really wanted to help athletes in, in overcoming injury. So that was really the primary reason as, as to why I wanted to be a sports psychologist. And yeah, so I studied, did my undergrad, did my master's, um, and now I'm, I'm training to be a sports psychologist. And I was very lucky to meet Hannah Stoyle, who's the founder of Optimized Potential. Um, and she took me on about two years ago um, to really support athletes um, of all abilities. Um, so it's really supporting them in, in terms of their enhancing their performance and well-being. And how has your work been affected by the pandemic? You know, it's been interesting. I think it's, it's really helped me in terms of being creative since all my work is virtual and um, I haven't seen a client in person since March um, so as all my work is virtual it, it is really you know being creative with the sessions you know I deliver workshops I do one-to-one -one sessions as well with athletes and it's it's just trying to be creative and acknowledging that you know every everything else that for example, an adolescent footballer does is online right now. So it's just trying to make it as engaging as possible. Um, but I definitely do miss working with athletes in person. Um, you know, it's different actually being at the ground, you know, being at the pitch and being with them in person, supporting them in person. But I think it's just, you know, you need to do the best that you can to be creative and, and support them and acknowledge that, you know, this is a tough time for them. Obviously, as you just mentioned, you haven't seen an athlete face to face since March. Is it harder to, I guess, build that rapport virtually or the relationship, if you like? Absolutely. And I think that's one thing that I've, I've really worked on, to be honest, over the last eight to nine months is building that rapport. And, you know, if you see an athlete in person, you could really gauge their body language, right? You can kind of gauge a little bit more in terms of, you know, what they're thinking and feeling. But building rapport virtually is completely different. And so I, I do spend a lot more time. Um, you know, as it is virtual, especially if, you know, these athletes that I'm meeting, um, I'm meeting them for the first time virtually. Um, so I do spend a lot more time really getting to know them and really checking in with them, not just in terms of sport, but asking them, you know, how they're doing, you know, how are they, how are they doing with dealing with everything? But I, I think I, I definitely do spend a lot more time building rapport and getting to know them and getting them to be comfortable with me, right? Because again, you know, a, a lot of the athletes I'm working with right now, the only time that they've met me is, is virtually. On the flip side of the coin, to be honest, there's been a lot of athletes that prefer to work virtually, you know, whether it would be, you know, they're in a safer space. Like, for example, if I'm working with an athlete at a club, that conversation may be, you know, 10 feet away from 10 of their peers, right? So 
I think there's definitely been benefits of, you know, working with uh, athletes virtually, but obviously there is that, that difficulty of building rapport as well, but it's just taking more time with it um, and understanding that it may be difficult to really develop that relationship virtually. Let's chat United. Solskjaer said recently he will know in the new year after the Wolves and the Villa game if United are considered challengers for the Premier League title. Of course, they've won both those games. In your opinion, do United, now unbeaten in 10 games for the first time in a long time, have to be considered genuine title contenders? I'm going to say that I respect Solskjaer so much in what he's done. And something that I really like about him is he takes it game by game. Right. And one of the things that he did say um, recently is press conferences, he's just going to focus on, you know, the next game. And I think that's something that I really like about him is he, he's realistic. He's not going to throw out, you know, unrealistic expectations saying, oh, yeah, you know, we're going to win the league by 15 points. That's not a realistic goal. Do I think it's realistic this season? No. <laughs> Um, I think, you know, there's a couple things that United need to work on. Most obviously um, is getting another center back with Maguire. I think, you know, bringing Cavani has been a huge benefit and advantage um, having him up front. But I think there are still a little bit tweaks that need to be made amongst the club. And I think Liverpool, you know, Liverpool have those areas figured out. Yes, they have Van Dyke out currently. Um, so the defense is, is lacking a little bit. But at the same time, I think that they are more advanced club and, and more likely to win. And they're more consistent as well. I think you mentioned you mentioned it there a number of times. The issue I have with this United team is the consistency. Yeah. I just don't know if they're a team you can trust to turn up and perform every week. As you also mentioned, the defensive issues were chopping and changing. We've Eric Bailly. We've Tonzebi, we've Maguire, we've Lindelof. I think for a team who wants to be serious and challenge for the Premier League title, we need to have a settled centre-back pairing week in, week out. Absolutely. And I think, you know, a big part of this is injury, right? If you look at Eric Bailly, you know, he's had, he spent more time out injured than he actually has playing. Um, and it's hard to kind of predict when an, uh, an athlete will be injured, right? So I think at the end of the day, you know, we need to find a settled, you know, back four, and it really will depend on, you know, those individuals not getting injured. But at the same time, I think that we do have the roots to do that. Like Tu and Xavier, I think he's absolutely fantastic. You know, he, he went on, out on loan twice. He's come back. He's learned a lot. You know, Wamba Saka, I, I can't, you know, give him enough, um, you know, enough um, praise. I think he's absolutely fantastic. But I think it's, it's quite interesting because you know, if you look at Luke Shaw, for example, he's fantastic at moving forward. Wamba Saka kind of, you know, sometimes has moments that he, you know, kind of almost is tentatively not sure if he should move forward. But I think there's so many strengths amongst the defenders that, you know, they can kind of learn from each other. But yeah, it's going to be interesting moving forward to see, you know, if we do bring in that center back, can we find, you know, a consistent back four? But again, you know, with injury, with COVID, it's difficult to really confirm that as we've seen at other clubs as well. I do think that the team is beginning to take shape. There are things happening at the club that I really like. I mean, this time last year, United were 24 points off Liverpool. What do you think Solskjaer has done in the last 12 months? What do you feel has changed? I think realistic expectations. I think he is not a coach. He's not a manager that puts a lot of pressure on his players. I think that he, well, number one, he can have empathy. He can understand the pressure that they're going through as he was a player himself. And I think, you know, he really works on building their strengths and really listening to them and engaging with them and, and building a relationship with them. I mean, you can see that, you know, with when Eric Bailly um, got player of the match, you know, he went up to, Solskjaer went up to him after and, and really gave him that praise. 
And I think, you know, he's really worked on building those relationships um, with the players and the players, you know, believe in him and want to, you know, perform for him. But again, it comes back to those realistic expectations. You know, he's not saying to them, yeah, we need to win the league by 50 points and win Champions League. He's, he really takes it game by game um, and really taking into consideration, you know, how the players are doing. I think he, he doesn't only care about the performance, but also well-being as well. You touched on something there, um, the concept of empathy. Do you think that's important for a player to feel from their managers, from their support networks? A hundred percent. I think, you know, who better to really support you than somebody that truly understands what you're going through? You know, the pressure of, of dealing with being at a club such as United, right, that really strives on, on winning. I think that really adds an extra element of the players feeling like they are supported, but they're also that they're understood and they're listened to. You know, having that empathy piece and actually feeling understood and feeling that, that sense of belonging is huge as a manager. I know from chatting to you that you're a big David De Gea fan who has been criticized recently from people on this podcast too. At times, in my opinion, with good reason. However, the last couple of games, we have seen signs that he's returning to form and like the David De Gea of old. What have you made of David De Gea's recent performances? Do you think he's getting back to his best? You know, and this is an interesting one because it just so happens that after Henderson came in, right, and De Gea then returned to um, starting, that his performance increased. And, you know, I think that we can look at you know, another keeper coming in in one of two ways. We can look at that as a threat, right? And essentially say, you know, oh my God, you know, I, I won't be able to, you know, perform better than this keeper. You know, this keeper is better than me. Or you can perceive it as a challenge and say, actually, you know, the fact that this other keeper has come in means that I need to step up my game. And I think that's exactly what De Gea did. And really taking this as an opportunity and saying, okay, you know, I recognize that Dean's being brought in. What can I do to really show them that I should be the starting keeper and I think he proved that I mean you know his save that he made in the last game was absolutely absolutely pivotal and it was it was really nice for me you know as a De Gea fan but also a sports psychologist to really look at him and say okay you you are looking at this as an opportunity you're looking at this as you know a chance to really show and, and, and showcase your skills and that you deserve to be a starting keeper and I think, you know, in regards to Dean Henderson, this is not discrediting, you know, he's a fantastic keeper, but I don't think that he's ready. Um, you know, there's a couple of silly mistakes that he's made. And I think that comes down to lack of experience, but also the pressure of, you know, the pressure of kind of being thrown in um, and playing against, you know, some good clubs. So I think, you know, whether it was like with Romero and kind of transitioning him in and playing FA Cup games, I think that would have been, I think, an easier transition than kind of throwing him in saying, okay, well, you're going to play Premier League games. Um, I think that's a lot of pressure to put on a young keeper, especially with a keeper with, with less experience than, than De Gea. For me, you mentioned it there. I think the competition from Henderson has undoubtedly helped him return to form. I mean, in comparison to Romero, he seems happy to sit on the bench at times. Romero, I mean, he's been at the club for five years now. I'm not sure how much pressure he ever put on David De Gea in terms of actually challenging for that number one spot if De Gea makes a mistake. I think his position was still safe, really. I don't think that's the case with Dean Henderson. I don't think Henderson is here to settle. He wants that number one shirt. He's said that in a number of interviews. That competition for De Gea in terms of getting the best out of himself, that competition is absolutely crucial, I think. Yeah, and I mean, you know, again, we, like I, I said, you can look at this in one of two days, right? You know, De Gea can look at this as, 
an opportunity as a, and a challenge and say, yeah, you know, I, I do want to look at this as an opportunity for myself to improve and prove to them that I should be the starting keeper. Or I can feel completely threatened by this and essentially step back and feel like, oh, well, you know, I'm not good enough and that can contribute to underperforming. But I really think De Gea, you know, I think it was kind of a kick in the backside that he needed in the sense of saying, okay, look, you know, this is my position that could be threatened. You know, I'm really going to use this as an opportunity to showcase what, what I'm made of and, and that keeper that, you know, that was performing to my very best two years ago, two and a half years ago. But I think, you know, the difference between Romero and Dean, like you said, is, is Dean is very vocal with, you know, with his goals um, in terms of being the starting keeper. And that's no disrespect to Romero. And we don't know what's going on behind the scenes, you know, whether the, there's different political factors, environmental factors as to, you know, why Romero isn't starting more games. But I do think, like you said, there's not that same kind of push from Romero that he is being vocal and he is, you know, showing the club that, look, yeah, I, I do want to start in the Premier League. I do want to start in a Champions League game. Um, so I don't think that he's kind of put that same pressure on De Gea as Henderson has put on him. Of course, at the last World Cup, David De Gea made a number of high-profile mistakes. We all know that. I don't really need to into that too much. From a sports psychology perspective, can you tell us a bit about the notion of confidence in sport? Absolutely. And I think, you know, this is such a, a huge aspect um, of sports psychology is, is building up a, an individual self-confidence levels. And one of our biggest sources of self-confidence is p- uh, past performance accomplishments. You know, if you haven't played well during your last game, you're not going to feel confident going into the next one. Right. And, and those past performances are really pivotal in you feeling like, okay, you know, I, I can do this. I do have the ability to perform well. And I do think, you know, that especially there were a couple games um, during the World Cup that you're watching De Gea and it's just, it, it, was, it was hard to watch. There are mistakes that were instrumental. I, I do think that the more mistakes that he made, the, the more he you know, started to really lack that self-belief. Um, and I think that it's been hard to transition back you know, after making such huge mistakes, you know, in one of the biggest, you know, competitions in the world, well, the, the biggest competition in the world, but I think it was really hard for him to transition back and kind of overcome making those mistakes and really having that sense of belief. And again, you know, De Gea is not big in terms of, um, you know, talking to the press in terms of, um, you know, what he's thinking and feeling. And, but, you know, I, I can tell you, you know, I can assume that he was really struggling um, when he returned from the World Cup and was struggling with, you know, having that sense of belief and, and acknowledging that, you know, he does have the ability to really perform at his best. You mentioned transitioning back or overcoming self-confidence, however I can frame that or word that. In terms of your self-confidence, can you tell us a little bit about the techniques you try to impart upon the athletes you work with? Absolutely. And I think it's important to keep in mind that each individual is different. So, you know, a technique that I use for one athlete may be very different for the other athlete. But I think, you know, for myself, I really like to use a strength-based approach and really being able to foster and enhance their strengths and to get them to acknowledge their strengths, right? Because you know, usually when you talk to an athlete and you say, you know, what are you really good at? They may be able to, you know, list one or two things. If you ask them, okay, well, what are some of your weaknesses or some of the things that you kind of lack in your performance? They'll be able to list 50 different things, right? So it's really getting them to acknowledge their strengths and actually use their strengths to their advantage. Let's use those strengths to actually, you know, build an action plan of, you know, how we can go into the next game, you know, feeling confident and be able to perform to our very best. And I think, again, that's, you know, whether that's, you know, looking at their past performance accomplishments, whether that's, you know, focusing on, 
you know, after the game, I'll ask them to maybe reflect on, okay, what were three things that you did really well? And then one thing that we want to improve on for next time. But I think it's continually just really reminding them and having them to reflect on, hey, actually, maybe it wasn't, you know, performance that I'm really proud of, but there were still things that I did well, right? And it's getting to the kind of, you know, continually reflect on that narrative that they are good enough and they have that ability. And I think the last thing as well is, is really helping them realize that one performance doesn't define them as an athlete and as a person. So really looking at this one performance as, okay, yeah, you know, there are a couple of things that I'm not, you know, that happy with, but how can we really use that as an opportunity next time to really improve on? Um, and again, you know, that one mistake that you made doesn't define you as a footballer. It doesn't define you as a person. So interesting that you mentioned that. I had a conversation with someone recently and they said to me, what are you good at? What do you do well? And I really struggled to answer it. But when they asked me, what, what do I not do so well? I could list off like 10 different things. And it's, you know what, it's something that I think as human beings, we are so critical of ourselves, right? And I think it's, it's something that we really need to use, you know, whether it's a coach, whether it's a sports psychologist and really harnessing and enhancing those strengths and having them acknowledge those super strengths. But again, you know, we're programmed as human beings to really be critical and not really recognize, hey, well, like, I am that awesome person. I am that awesome footballer. But again, you know, it, it could be really difficult to acknowledge those. And, and that may take a couple sessions, right? I may be working with an athlete and we may be able to come up with one strength during one session, but then I actually have them go away and reflect and say, you know, how about this training session? You know, what, what, well, oh, okay. Well, it's actually be able to you know, execute a couple of volleys well. Awesome. Okay, so and we're able to kind of build on those, uh, those strengths as the sessions go on. But I think it's important to, you know, whether you're a coach, sports psychologist, um, parent, always really emphasizing those strengths and asking whether it's your child, whether it's your, your athlete after each, you know, each training session, each game, what do you think that you did really well? And, and something that they should really be proud of and acknowledging its accomplishments. Hi, this is Ken Hardy, and you're listening to Red Devil Talk, the podcast with Jimmy Williams. This podcast is brought to you in association with Classic Retro Shirts. Classic Retro Shirts sell a large variety of retro jerseys from a number of clubs and countries and are very prominent on Manchester United. United season ticket holders themselves, giving fans a chance to look back through history. Classic Retro Shirts are on Instagram at ClassicRetros2 or you can visit their website at ClassicRetros.co.uk. To get a £10 discount off your purchase, you can use the code RDT10 at the checkout on the website or you can send the code via direct message to their Instagram. Classic Retro Shirts. You messaged me recently about Paul Pogba. We had a bit of a chat about Paul Pogba. I think anyone who listens to this podcast will know I'm not a fan of Paul Pogba. (laughs) However, credit where credit's due, he was man of the match against Villa. United gave him license to get forward. He was involved in the opener with a fantastic bit of skill. He won the penalty, registered 11 touches in the opposition box, the most he's ever had in a Premier League game. I think he got into the right positions. We saw his undoubted passing ability. He wanted to get on the ball. He wanted to make things happen. What have you made of Pogba's turnaround in form, if you like, since the comments that came from his agent saying that he was unhappy at United? And this is an interesting one because, you know, his agent is very vocal. And I think, you know, sometimes agents can really misconstrue what the athlete or player is really thinking and feeling. You know, I know Solskjaer came out very recently and said that he, you know, he denied 
essentially swapping two Juventus players for Paul Pogba. And he's, he's really, you know, tried to make it very obvious that Paul Pogba should stay at the club. I think, you know, a difference that I've seen the last couple of games is his work ethic. And, you know, whether that's a conversation he had with Solskjaer, whether that's, you know, he's feeling like maybe the team is working better um, collectively, I don't know. But I have seen a major shift in his performance and his attitude as well. If you look at, for example, his work ethic, I've seen a huge shift. And I think, you know, whether that's, you know, starting him, does that have a difference on, you know, his attitude and him wanting to put in work ethic? But I have seen a huge shift. And I hope that that will be, you know, that will continue. Because when he's at his best, as I said to you, when, when he's on it, he's on it. You know, and he could really, he, he could really, you know, open the pitch up and open the plays up and just, you know, create so many opportunities. So I, I really hope that this is a continual thing and that, you know, whatever rumors there are, whatever his agent says, that, that doesn't really, you know, have an impact on, on his performance. But I'm hoping, you know, at least until the summer transfer window, we won't hear anything more from, from his agent and his performance will continue to really thrive. I mean, I've been critical of Pogba in the past, as a number of United fans have. I think the frustration is that we spent 90 million. He just doesn't do the basics. But I have to agree with you recently. His work ethic, he's doing the basics. He's running. He wants to get on the ball. I have no problem with the player having a bad game. That happens. But when you're not doing the basics, when you're not running back, just don't think that's acceptable. But I totally agree with you. I think recently, he's been really impressive. Do you think it's too late? for Pogba to make a success of his United career? Or do you think it's gone, it's gone too far the other way? You know, I think there's a lot of pressure on a player when you have that 90 million pound, you know, price tag over your head. And I, I do think that that had a huge impact on his ability to really thrive and perform at his best. You know, I think that there was so much pressure and this is, you know, this is the reality of, of, of playing football at a high level, but pressure from fans, you know, pressure from coaching staff, to really perform, you know, to his very best. And I don't think that helped in terms of his transition to United. And yes, you know, he's had a couple of injury spells. You know, he's, he's had, you know, probably a, a flurry of five or six games where you didn't see that work ethic. But I am hoping now, you know, now that he's grown up a bit, maybe he's a little bit mature, more mature on the pitch. Um, I think he has Fernandez now, right, to kind of feed off of. I think that he is starting to find that confidence and really be able to thrive at his best. And, you know, whether that's bringing, whether bringing in Fernandez has actually really helped enhance that, you know, that's just kind of speculating, but I don't think it's too late. I, I think that he is showing that he wants to be there, regardless of what his agent said, that he wants to put in that, that work ethic, that he wants the team to do well. And again, I'm hoping that this, you know, this kind of level of performance does continue. Me too. I genuinely would love to be proved wrong. I hope we really see this form continue. Let's chat Eric Bailly, who's been really impressive recently. He's started four games in a row for the first time in three years. He made a brilliant block late on. For me, his talent is never in doubt. It was always the question of, can we keep him fit? Can we keep him in the team? Obviously, Maguire isn't ever present in the team. We mentioned earlier in the podcast, United have chopped and changed with different defensive partners. Now, for me, Eric Bailly's speed complements Maguire. I think he's good at anticipating danger. Do you think Bailly and Maguire is United's best defensive pairing? I think when Bailly is in full form, absolutely. But again, it's that question of, can we keep him fit? Um, he's, he's had a number of injury spells um, that have really contributed to him being out for you know, 
a huge amount of time. And I, I really hope that, you know, they can continue to build upon his fitness because I, I, I do think that, like you said, he does complement McGuire. You know, he has the pace that McGuire doesn't. And I think that they will be a fantastic pairing. But again, it's, should we have, you know, bring another center back as, as a backup, you know, to kind of ensure that, you know, if Bayi does get injured, um, that we have somebody there. Uh, but I do think that they would be a fantastic pair if Bayi does stay fit. Something that fascinates me in psychology is the notion of injury, how it can impact an athlete, how it can hinder an athlete psychologically. Can you tell us about the impact of an injury? Yeah, I mean, and again, you know, injuries are, are really unfortunately a part of sport and I think you know each individual does um, kind of experience injuries very differently um, you know some individuals will kind of take it you know and say okay well I'm going to do my physio exercises I know what to do but you know injury can really play such a pivotal role in in really a decline in your own self-confidence your own self-belief motivation you know it can really kind of question you know am I going to be ever going to be back to full form you know do I have you know, am I going to be able to have the same abilities that I had before? And it does, you know, it is really difficult when you're supporting an athlete through injury, right? Because you can't predict the future. You can't predict, okay, you know, you're going to be able to return to, um, you know, a match in six weeks and be able to perform, you know, at your best. And that's not realistic. So I think, you know, for me as a sports psychologist, I really try and work on things kind of a, a day-to-day basis, session to session, and really kind of focusing on, okay, well, you know, from, physio last week, you know, what were some of the things that you've enhanced on that you'd really be able to um, improve on instead of kind of saying to them, okay, well, yeah, you're going to be back to performing at your best in three months, right? Because as much as physically, you may be able to return, psychologically, you may not be able to return, right? And again, you know, players will really are very different in how they really perceive um, injuries, as well as what, you know, when they return. So I think it's, you know, it's important to really take it day by day. And again, you know, not put extra pressure on that athlete and expectations of when they should return, but as well as when they do actually return, not putting pressure on them in terms of how they should perform. And, you know, part of that is, you know, really be able to, for them to appraise situations um, in a way that's not threatening, right? And again, you know, if you perceive a situation as threatening, let's say that you're going in for a tackle and you're already thinking to yourself, you know, oh my God, you know, I'm going to injure my knee again you're going to have a greater chance of injuring your knee again, right? So it's, it's being able to really help an athlete in, in changing that narrative and kind of changing the perception of, of going in for a tackle or going in for a header, which is really difficult, right? But again, I don't think that there's enough, sympathy is not the right word, but not enough support when it comes to um, an athlete returning from injury, understanding the psychological implications of returning. I totally agree with that. I don't think there's enough support to maintain the well-being of an injured athlete. I think clubs are improving. I mean, historically, I guess people were thinking, well, it's a physical trauma, so it's only physical effect. But obviously, there's the mental aspect, which I think is being highlighted more in contemporary sport, which is great. I still think we're a little bit away from where we want to be, though, in terms of teams and their knowledge of how they can support and maintain the well-being of an injured player. I think especially for players that have a very long-term injury, right? So for example, Andre Gomez, you know, when he had in- his injury or Luke Shaw, if you have a player that's going to be out or Van Dyke, if you have a player that's going to be out for a long period of time, 
they need continued support. It's not about, you know, okay, you, you see a psychologist once, you know, when they get the injury done and then we're going to see the psychologist again when he's ready to return. No, it's, it's having that consistent support um, throughout their entire rehabilitation process. Um, and I think, you know, obviously in the Premier League, they will have um, the means to do that. Um, but I think, you know, looking at it in terms of smaller clubs, um, I know financially it's quite difficult, but it is so important that they have continued support throughout that rehabilitation process, not only in terms of physio, strength and conditioning coaches, but having a sports psychologist to support them throughout that process. Up next for United, it's City, semi-final of the Carabao Cup. I think for all United's progress that they've made recently, I really feel like it's time to win a trophy. How important do you think that this team now wins a trophy to foster that winning mentality, I guess, that's needed to become an elite team? I mean, again, if it comes back to, you know, United's core values, right? United is a winning club, right? And I think there's a fine line between, you know, supporting athletes to really thrive and perform and putting pressure on them to, to win. And that's really the only way that, you know, define success, right? So really what does, uh, what does success really mean to a club? Yes, you know, I think that it would be fantastic for United with all the hard work that they put in um, and their performances in the Premier League. You know, it'd be great to win a cup. And I, I really hope that they do. But at the same time, it's kind of weighing out, well, you know, what's more important, right? Is it, you know, coming close to winning the Premier League? Is it, you know, winning Carabao Cup? You know, what what is really most important in terms of um, what success means to the club? And I think, you know, again, like I mentioned earlier, what Ollie does really well is really being able to kind of manage those expectations and look at it as game, you know, each game. We're not looking at it as, yeah, we're going to win the Premier League by 50 points. He really manages those expectations and, you know, takes a step back and saying, actually, let's just take it game by game. And again, you know, by doing that, it puts expectation and pressure on the players to feel like oh my god you know I need to perform well for the next five games right it's okay what can we do during this game to thrive and perform well I just have two more questions Serena because I'm conscious of time I don't want to take up too much of your day thank you for your time once again what was your favorite United moment of 2020 oh god I'm a huge Cavani fan. Like, I'm a huge Cavani fan. I think he's a fantastic player. I think he's a player that youngsters can watch and really learn from. I'd have to say his first goal. He's a player that I've watched for years and, you know, dreamed that he'd have, he'd be at United. So I think his first goal for me was just fantastic to watch. Um, obviously, there's, there's so many other moments, you know, during 2020 that I was really, you know, proud of watching United and some not-so-proud moments, but Cavani's first goal for me was just, I was absolutely ecstatic. I think for me, the 2-0 victory against City at Old Trafford, it was the last game played in front of fans, a game where I felt the team really fought for Solskjaer. Ederson made a mistake. Scott McTominay scored that goal to seal it in injury time. The celebration from the fans, the celebration from McTominay, I just thought it was a special moment. And of course, it was the first time United did the double over City since 2010. So that's mine. And final question. What was your favourite goal of 2020 from a United perspective? I think my favourite has to be, um, it was Fernandez free kick uh, at Martial's volley. That was just, you know, such an amazing moment. And you really felt like you know, the team had come together and was performing at their best. And obviously, you know, winning over City as well is always uh, a bonus. When Fernandez clipped over the wall, yeah, that was a, that was a great moment of skill. My favourite goal was Martial's goal at home to Watford in the league. Mm. Bruno picked it up on the halfway line before playing Martial in. 
Ben Foster saved Martial's first effort, but then Martial dinked the ball over him into the net. Now, Martial is a player who frustrates. He frustrates me a lot, but it was a moment of pure class, the composure, the confidence, the nerve to even try it from that angle. Different class, I thought. It reminded me of um, like what Cantona used to do, like that little chip over a keeper's. But it was, yeah, it was a moment that I was proud of Tony because, you know, he, he's had a lot of inconsistent performances and, you know, like you just mentioned, it can be frustrating at times to watch him, especially when he's not, you know, 100% focused and, and in kind of the right mindset. But I think that goal, I mean, he, he's had some of the, you know, most successfully executed goals of this entire season. Uh, but again, it's finding that consistency. You know, if he can continue to have, you know, goals as amazing as that one, um, you know, he'll be a player to, you know, really, you know, that will set United apart. But it's finding that consistency. Serena, thank you for your time. You're a great sport. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Jimmy, for having me. I really appreciate it. Pleasure. I really enjoyed that. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Red Devil Talk. We hope you enjoyed our latest episode and don't forget you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Red Devil Talk. If you listen on an Apple device, please consider leaving a review and a five-star rating. If you have any questions or comments or want more information on Red Devil Talk podcasts, you can get in touch via email at reddevil talkmedia at gmail.com.